me this morning again to the book of 1 Timothy, and we are in chapter 6, and this morning in verses 11 through 16. We will, Lord willing, complete our study through 1 Timothy next Lord's Day as we conclude chapter 6. So this morning we are in chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. The title of my sermon is The Simple Christian Life. And let's look together at God's word beginning with verse 11 of 1 Timothy 6. But flee from these things, you men of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And that is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much again for an opportunity to be together. And to spend time together in your word. We pray your blessing upon this opportunity. We pray that you would uh, be our guide this morning. That the Holy Spirit would illumine us. That he would open the scriptures to our understanding. That he would help us to see its truth. To hear its message. And to apply it to our hearts. And we do pray that as we study this text again. We would be pointed to Christ. We would see Jesus. And be made more like him. We ask it in his name. Amen. You know, we are good at complicating things, aren't we? We complicate our relationships. We complicate our goals in life. We complicate our finances. If you doubt that, just look at your checkbook, probably. And we complicate our spiritual lives. Did you know that? We tend to complicate... The Christian life. Now, I'm about as bad at that as anyone, but it's true. Yes, we make the Christian life complicated when in reality it is quite simple. Now, notice I said it is simple. I did not say it is easy. Many times living the Christian life is hard. Very hard. After all, what did Jesus say? He said, take up your cross and follow me. He also said, if they persecuted me, guess what? They will persecute you. And, and Paul added to that when he said, anyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We're going to find some of that in our text this morning. Living the Christian life can be hard. But it's not complicated, folks. In fact, it is quite simple. 
We are the ones who complicate it. Coming to Jesus is not complicated. What does the Bible say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's it. You can't get more simple than that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will, the Bible says, you will be saved. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to attend a class. You don't have to go to confessional. You don't even have to be baptized. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And living the Christian life is the same way. Very simple. Again, we are the ones who complicate it. You don't have to embrace a particular theology, although our church does embrace one. You don't have to embrace a particular theology, Reformed theology, Arminian theology, Charismatic theology. You don't have to teach a class or become a church officer. You don't have to sing in the choir or serve on the committee. Those are all good things. But the truth is, all you have to do to live the Christian life is to love Jesus and to live for Him and to follow Him. Now in our text this morning, I think Paul is describing what I'm calling the simple Christian life. And we find it in the context of Paul exhorting or encouraging this young pastor, Timothy, to live out his life faithfully, both as a man of God and as a pastor of God's people. So what does Paul say here in these verses about this simple Christian life? Four things I want to draw from this text for you. And the first is that Paul tells us that in living the Christian life, there are certain, certain things that we are to flee. first part of living the Christian life simply, or the simple Christian life, is to flee, to avoid certain things, to run away from them, to get out of the way of them. Look what he says in verse 21. But flee from these things, you man of God. The verse actually begins with the word but, but flee from these things. And when that's an adversative, and when Paul uses that word but there, he's putting Timothy in contrast to the false teachers he's just been describing. Remember, we always have to give every text where? In its proper context. And this is in the context where Paul has been talking about the dangers of the false teachers. And at the conclusion of our last text that we were looking at last Lord's Day, his point was there are a lot of false teachers out there who are doing it for the money, who are trying to profit from the gospel. And that's where Paul draws the contrast. He says, but you, Timothy, you, man of God, you flee from these things. Don't you do it that way. Don't you embrace the false ideas of the false teachers. And don't you follow the false motivation of those who are in it for the wrong reason. You, you, man of God, you flee from these things. Now, when Paul called... Timothy here, a man of God. That's a very significant thing. That phrase, folks, is reserved for very few people in the Bible. 
It's reserved for people like Moses and Joshua and Samuel and Elijah and Elisha and David. The only ones in the Old Testament who are given that description, a man of God. Timothy is the only one in the New Testament who is described that way. And so as he is reading this letter that Paul has written to him as he's pastoring this church in Ephesus, and when Timothy got to that place and he read how Paul was referring to him as a man of God, he would understand the weight of it. He would understand that Paul was putting him in a unique group of people and placing a kind of heavy responsibility on him. And again, as a man of God or as God's man, Timothy was to flee from the the practices of these false teachers. He wasn't to be like them. He was to conduct his ministry different from the way they conducted theirs. He wasn't again to try to gain personally from the ministry, but rather he was to invest himself and his gifts to benefit the lives of others. He was to flee from any hint of false teaching or false doctrine. He wasn't to focus upon controversial questions and disputes about words. These are all things Paul had said about the false teachers in the previous section. He wasn't to be a source of strife and contention in the body of Christ. And again, he wasn't to try to engage in ministry to profit from the generosity of the people of God or for financial gain. Running away from things, fleeing from things, is a basic part of Paul's philosophy of living the Christian life. We are to flee from those things that would hinder us in our walk with Christ and keep us from loving him as we should. Now, you'll have to decide, we each one has to decide what it is in our lives from which we need to flee. What it is in our lives that's holding us back from being all that God wants us to be. What it is from which we need to run so we will be caught in a trap And what it is in our lives that we need to avoid or get away from in order to live in a way that pleases Christ and honors Him. That's the first part of the simple Christian life. That is just get out of the way. Flee from certain things. Then second, he tells us that there are other things that we are to pursue. You know, if you boil the Christian life down to its, its basic elements... I would submit to you, that's about what you'll find. Living the Christian life to a large part is running away from, fleeing from, avoiding the things that displease God and pursuing or chasing after those things that please Him. And a large part of Christian maturity, a large part of being what we are to be in God's eyes is having the wisdom to decide between the two. What is it that we need to avoid, run from, flee from? And what is it we need to pursue and chase after so that we can achieve? Look at what 
Paul tells Timothy to pursue here. Still in verse 11. Take hold, excuse me, verse 11, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Almost kind of sounds similar to the list of the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't it? But that's what living the Christian life is about. It's fleeing from the things of the world and the flesh and pursuing the things of the Spirit of God. Now these are six character traits that Paul gives Timothy to pursue here. Seems to be in three pairs. Righteousness and godliness. Faith and love. Perseverance and gentleness. We are to pursue righteousness. Now this is not the righteousness of Christ, but this is practical righteousness. You know, when we come to faith in Christ, when we are born again, when God gives us new life and new hearts, the great doctrine of justification by faith says we are, when we're justified by faith, we are declared righteous in God's eyes. Not based on any righteousness of our own, but only on the, what, righteousness of Christ, which is imputed to us and received by faith alone. When we come to faith in Christ, God clothes us in the righteousness of His Son. And that's the only access that you and I have to the Father. We can't come on our own because what does the Bible say about our righteousness? Our righteousness, the best we can muster, is no better than filthy, dirty rags, unacceptable in the eyes of a holy God. And so God clothes us in the righteousness of Jesus and gives us access to his throne of grace by faith. And as blessed and as wonderful as that is, that's not what he's talking about here. We don't have to pursue that. God gives it to us. It's a gift. What we're to pursue is what I call practical righteousness. The way I like to put it is this. We're to demonstrate in practice what God has already declared to be true in principle. God, by His grace and through faith, has declared you to be righteous in His Son. Your responsibility is to pursue that practical righteousness, living it out, doing the right things, living the right way, showing that you really are in Christ. So we're to pursue holiness. He also says we're to pursue godliness. And even though righteousness and godliness are very closely related and very much synonymous, there's a distinction between the two. uh, Righteousness has more to do with righteous acts, how we behave, what we do, doing the right thing. Godliness has more to do with our attitude, with the state or condition of our hearts. What did Jesus say? Out of the heart, out of the heart, flow all the issues of life. And when you pursue godliness, you pursue a godly heart. And it's out of that godly heart then that flow righteous acts, doing the right thing, 
That's why it's so important. The condition of your heart is so important because out of who you are flows what you do. So we're to pursue righteousness and godliness. We're also to pursue faith, he says. Your faith is a deeper trust in God, a a more sure reliance upon him. You know, we talk a lot about being saved by grace. The reality is we live by grace, too. We live by faith. We live by faith. To live by faith means we don't live by sight. Now, I don't know about you, but it's real easy for me to live by sight. To allow my circumstances kind of determine my demeanor, determine my attitude, determine my perspective. And when circumstances in my life aren't just so, I can fret, I can become anxious, I can become worried. I don't know about you, but I do that over my children. (laughs) Even though they're grown men, you know, I still become worried and anxious over them. And when something's not going quite right in their lives, you can ask my wife. You know, I become anxious about it. That's living by sight, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's living by sight. It's not living by faith. Because to whom do they belong? They belong to Him. They belong to God. I need to trust them to God and live by faith and not by sight. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy here. Pursue faith. Living by faith. And then we're also also to pursue love. You know, very familiar verse in 1 Corinthians 13 says, Now abide faith, hope, love. The greatest of these is love. Again, there was a song years ago when I was the age of some of these teenagers. It says, They will know, they will know we are Christians by our, by our love. That's so true. It really is true. They don't know we're Christians by our orthodoxy or by our theology or by our doctrine, as important as all that is. They know the difference Christ makes in us because we love each other. You know, if, if, if one thing could be said about North Point that would please me more than anything else would be, why how they love one another. We got visitors this morning, and, and I don't—I don't care what they say about the sermon. Well, I do a little bit, <laughs> but boy, I care about their sense of being loved here. They sense there's love among you all here. That's what's important, and we're to pursue it. We're to pursue love, and we're to pursue perseverance. You know, we were just talking about perseverance. We, we did a study on Wednesday nights looking, looking, looking at the R.C. Sproul videos on Reformed theology and ended up with the doctrines of grace. And the last one of those is perseverance of the saints. Now, we know that God preserves us. He holds us in his arms. He keeps us. 
and he will never, ever let us go. And if we belong to him now, we will belong to him when we die. There's a sense in which we are to persevere to the end. Jesus said, he who perseveres to the end will be saved. Because those whom God holds in his hands will continue to seek after him. And to persevere to the end. And we're to be persevering people. Look, it gets hard sometimes. I know that. Life gets hard. We struggle. Struggle with our health. We struggle with our relationships. We struggle with our parents or with our children. We struggle with our jobs. We struggle with our families. We struggle with our studies. Whatever it is, you know. Seems like the devil's everywhere. It's hard. We struggle with our faith, don't we? We struggle with our commitment to Christ. We struggle trying to read the Bible. We struggle trying to pray. We struggle trying to talk to people about Jesus. But we've got to persevere. We're to pursue it. And then also we're to pursue, he says, gentleness. It's, it's a meekness. It's a humility. That is to be characteristic of the people of God. We're not to be proud and arrogant and rough. But we're to be gentle. Gentle with each other. Because hasn't the Savior been gentle to us? The voice of Jesus calls us by name. He's a gentle Savior and we're to be the same as well. So those are are just six things. The, the, Paul tells Timothy to pursue. You, you, you flee some things and you pursue other things and if you want to know the kinds of things you're to pursue, here's a sampling. Righteousness, godliness, love, faith, perseverance, and gentleness. Things that please God. Third, he tells us to fight. Verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith, and he goes on to explain kind of what that means. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy was to flee certain things, he was to pursue other things, and he was to fight against still other things. The Christian life is a battle, it's a struggle. Remember, I said at the very beginning. My sermon's about the simple Christian life. It's not about the easy Christian life. The Bible's very clear about this struggle in which we're engaged, this battle that we're to fight, because in Ephesians 6, Paul gives us pieces of individual armor, spiritual armor we're to put on so we can fight this spiritual battle, engage in this spiritual warfare. Every believer is called to this fight. But notice what Paul says about it. He says it's a good fight. It's a good fight. That word in the Greek means noble or excellent. It's a fight worth fighting. And it's a fight that brings good results. It is from the Greek word agonizomai, from which we get our word agony. This fight means struggling to the end. Fighting with everything that you have 
with exertion, concentration, discipline, and conviction to win the battle. It's also, he says, a fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith, or literally of the faith. There is a, there's a definite article there in the Greek. It's not just faith in general, but it's the faith. The faith which we hold dear. The truth that we believe. You know, in the context, again, uh, Paul is addressing Timothy in contrast to the false teachers who neglected the truth, who violated the truth, who perverted the truth. And he's telling Timothy, look, you fight good fight of faith, the faith. You fight for the faith. You fight for the truth. And that's important because what does our faith stand or fall on? It falls upon the faith, doesn't it? If this book is no good, your faith is no good. So we're to fight for the truth of God's word. We're to engage in this daily struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's interesting, you know, Paul gives this admonition to, to fight the good fight of faith. And flip over to the end of 2 Timothy, the next book, and we'll get there in a few weeks. Where Paul is nearing the end of his life, he's writing another letter to Timothy. He knows he's about to die. And he pens those familiar words, 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. He says of himself, I have fought the good fight. I fought the good fight. What a testimony. I don't have anything better for any of us to be able to say when we come near the end of our lives to be able to say, look, I, I have I've fought to the end. I have fought the good fight. And then fourth, he tells us to keep something. If you drop down into verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you, here it is, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach. He's to keep the commandment. What commandment? Well, I believe it's to be seen in its broadest context. of All that God gives to us in His Word. The fullness of God's exhortations, commandments that He gives to us. And it's so important that He, that he calls upon two witnesses. That's in verse 13. This charge is given in the presence, he says, of God who gives life to all things. And of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. He said, telling Timothy, look, this is an important matter. You know, attorney here, and I would imagine you'd call in witnesses. You know, even if you're signing something that you need witnesses, that means that signature is important, doesn't it, Lee? And here, God, Paul is calling God and Christ as witnesses to this charge that he's giving Timothy to keep the commandment. To keep it means to, can mean to obey it, to protect it. I think it means both. He is to 
Keep the charge. Hold on to it. Protect it. Obey it. And honor it with his life. It's a solemn charge. Now, as we conclude, I just want you to notice at the end, it's kind of an odd place, isn't it, for, for a doxology? At the very end, notice what he says in verses 15 and 16. Middle 15. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords. You've got to kind of read it that way with a little, little emphasis. Who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see. To him be the honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And you want to ask yourself, where did that come from? How did he get from this simple Christian life of fleeing, pursuing, keeping, I missed one, fighting? How did he get from there to glory and praise be to God? That's where worship comes from. Worship is not just going through the motions of Sunday morning activity. It is an outflow of our relationship with God through Christ, by grace, through faith. And understanding that relationship and all the dynamics that it has for us. And as Paul goes through this exhortation to Timothy to flee and to pursue and to fight and to keep... What does it do? It lifts him to worship. It lifts him to worship. And that's when worship becomes meaningful. You know, if you're struggling to worship, it's not, the struggle's not here. The struggle's here. Because if God is really working in your life and you're fleeing what you ought to avoid and you're pursuing righteousness and godliness and you're fighting the good fight and you're holding on to the commandment, boy, worship becomes special. Doesn't it? Because we want to give all praise and glory and thanks to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. All right. I'm over time. I'm about to quit. It's the simple Christian life. It's It's not hard, is it? Simple, but not easy. And sometimes you say, I can't do it. I know I ought to flee from that, but I don't have the strength to do it. I know I ought to pursue that, but I don't have the muster to go after it. I know I ought to fight against this, but I'm just too weak and tired. I know I ought to keep the commandment, but boy, it is a struggle. I have good news if that's where you are today. What did Jesus say? You can't, he said, you can't do it. Jesus was honest. Apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. You can't do it, folks. Apart from Christ, you cannot do it. But then what did Paul say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I got more good news. Jesus said, I'm going to send you a helper. And he's going to be with you. And he'll give you strength. 
Think of it. We got two helpers as we try to live this simple Christian life. Jesus himself and the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for its power in our lives. And I pray that this text this morning would speak to all of us and point us to Christ to make us what he wants us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.